This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, March 21st. Welcome to episode 42 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. We are twin brothers from Champaign, Illinois. Uh, Champaign, Illinois, home of the University of Illinois, and home to a basketball team that's had a third of its roster hey, suspended. Don't don't dwell on the negative. Last year. We just hired Lovey Smith. That's true. All things are good. Uh, speaking of college basketball, NCAA tournament is going on. Uh, Paul, what are your thoughts so far? Uh, yeah, without Illinois in, uh, it's just kind of fun to root for all underdogs. So I thought the Northern Iowa shot has been the, kind of the capstone moment so far. Um, and also Michigan State bowing out. Yeah, I would say those two things were tops for me. Uh, I saw that after the first two days, after Friday and Saturday, or Thursday and Friday, there were no perfect brackets left. Yeah. Yeah, earlier than usual. Um, but still the same result. Uh, Warren, did you have Michigan State winning at all? Yeah. Yeah, as did I. I feel like I, if I played the numbers right, I wouldn't have done that because, you know, most people had that, and it's not likely to happen. That You know, you would better get, uh, if you were given the offer of Michigan State or the field, you would take the field. Mm-hmm. And so I should have taken someone like Oklahoma. So if Oklahoma won it, I would have. That's a good point. Beat everyone. I feel like Izzo... You know, he almost, this was like not a typical Izzo season. Normally they like struggle to get well, in. Well, it was up until the tournament. Like but, they were peaking, right? They won the Big Ten tournament. But they almost peaked a little too early. Yeah. But, I didn't see any of the game. Uh, it sounds like Middle Tennessee State just played really well. Uh, yeah. that's. I didn't watch it either, but that was kind of the commentary afterwards was like middle, Michigan State didn't play awesome, but they also didn't play terrible. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that does it for college basketball talk. Um, the one story that uh, kind I of guess it, it doesn't do it for college basketball. Upstaged the NCAA tournament oh, was yeah. the LaRoche story. It's kind of insane that any story about the White Sox was getting more attention than uh, the tournament. Yes, and we will have lots more to discuss with Adam LaRoche later. Uh, preview of this week's podcast, we'll talk for about 10 minutes um, about the spring training stuff going on um, as that wraps up the last couple of weeks uh, spring training here. And then uh, we're going to talk about Adam LaRoche and that uh, saga with the, the White Sox uh, for about 10 minutes. And then we're going to talk about Bryce Harper. He also made some national news. He was upstaged by LaRoche, his former teammate. Um, we'll talk about Harper. And then we have a special guest on the podcast today. Uh, a listener all the way from Texas will join us um, to end the podcast. It's almost as if uh, the baseball world knew we didn't have much to discuss in our podcast exactly. this week. So they gave us LaRoche, Goose Gossage, and Bryce Harper. <laughs> yes. Uh, also, by the way, Nelly, thanks to him for the intro song. Big thanks to him. Haven't heard from him or his agent uh, yet, but you know, look forward to him thanking us for all the attention we're giving him. Uh I think I want to do a, a Nelly fact every podcast now until sure. I run out. Is he still still producing well, albums? That's, that's my first Nelly fact. He is kind of in production on his eighth album. Wow. The Wikipedia entry was a bit vague. 2014, he said he's pretty sure he's he's producing a, an eighth album or 
creating an eighth, eighth album. Um, and bonus, fun fact, because it's the first week we're doing this, his acting career, there's a tab on it on his Wikipedia page, it peaked when he was on the, the Longest Yard. Um, hmm. You remember that movie from 2005, the remake? Um, I believe he was a... Adam running, Adam Sandler was the main yes. actor in that? and I believe Nelly was a running back, maybe. So, Thanks to Nelly. That's been your, your Nelly fun fact. I like it. For the week. Um, all right, so moving on to spring training. Start us off, I have a fun little note. Marlon Bird, outfielder, has uh, signed a minor league contract with the Indians. If he makes the team, it will be his 10th Major League Baseball team. Paul, can you name all 10 teams that Marlon Bird has played for? No, surely not, but I'll try. So I guess nine, because the Indians are the 10th, would be the 10th. Uh, Cubs? That's correct. Mets? Yep. Uh, Mariners? That isn't correct. Hmm. Phillies? Uh-huh. He come up with the Phillies? I'm not sure. Um, and, uh, Braves? No. I'm just spitballing here. Uh, I'll go Pirates. Yep. Man, he really has played for nine teams. He's got five left. Um, I will go out west. Did he ever play for the... Thinking Padres for some reason? That isn't correct. You didn't know Marlon Bird as well as I thought you would. Uh, Rangers, Nationals, Giants, Red Sox, and Reds. That's right. I should have got Rangers because uh, Rudy Jaramino, the hitting coach there, he kind of like remade his career. Yep. Uh, the Reds and the Giants are also of recent memory. He's played well for them. How many, do you, how many would you have gotten if you hadn't looked? I don't know. Probably more because he played more in the National League. I'll give you a break there. He uh, was kind of a steroids guy for a little bit, right? I think so. Suspected? A little bit. Uh, <laughs> fun note on him, the reason I'm bringing him up. His name is Marlon Bird. He has not played for any of the teams with the Bird mascot. Nice. Or the Marlins. Nice. Or even the Mariners, another fish. Funny. So Marlon Bird, 10, ten teams now, and none of them are birds or fish. See, this is the stuff we would have been talking about for... Exactly. Like 40 minutes if exactly. LaRoche Gate and Goose Gossage hadn't... As I was looking reason. at him, it's a bit odd that he only got a minor league contract and it's taken so long for someone to sign him. Last year, he hit 23 homers, uh, had a 1.5 war, according to Baseball Reference. Wow. In 2014, had 25 homers and had a 2.7 war. Um, so a bit odd that no one has signed him. He is uh, getting up there in age, uh, but I think uh, good signing for the Indians. Um, a little risk. Uh, Paul, do you have any other uh, notes? I've got a couple more. but Yeah, I mean, I thought the most interesting story this week besides the uh, um, Roach and Goose Gossage and Harper and all that madness was Bronson Arroyo. Did you follow that story at all? Uh, just a little bit. So he had an arm injury and then got a second opinion. It's not as bad as people thought. The doctor misread the MRI. Oh, boy. Uh, so initially came back as like a torn rotator cuff. Don't tell me it was... Dr. Alan Nathan. Uh, it was not Dr. Alan no, Nathan. That's good. Um, but uh, initial, you know, MRI results came back as he was basically his career was over. So there were a lot of people tweeting out like condolences, Bronson Royal, great career. I think Bob Nightingale even wrote an article like 
kind of summarizing. Yeah. And then uh, a day or two later came out that he was just out for seven to ten days. Is he on a major league contract? Uh, yeah. Because the whole thing kind of reminded me that his career wasn't over. Because I had, I had forgotten about him. He hasn't yeah. pitched for a couple of years now, right? Correct. And I, I want to say hmm, either the Reds or the Red Sox. I think he's in camp with. I thought it was the Diamondbacks. I will look it up real quick. Uh, while he's doing that, uh, Barry Bonds reportedly beat Giancarlo Stanton and some other Marlins in a home run derby. Uh, I say reportedly because the story got a ton of press. Uh, you know, Bonds, 51 years old now, hitting coach for the Marlins, beats all the players. You know, could he still be a good player today? All those stuff, all those stories are being written. Uh, the next day it came out, Stanton and uh, Christian, Christian Yellick and some other Marlins said it, it wasn't as um, black and white as that. Um, it was kind of a team game, and Bonds did hit the most homers, but the point of the game wasn't necessarily to hit homers. It wasn't a home run derby. So I take that for what it's worth. Bonds hasn't played since 2007. It would be fun to see um, how many home runs he could hit in a um, actual home run derby. So maybe he'll do that later. He didn't even need to take steroids. Uh, he's slimmed down to the point where it's like probably his pre-steroids. Yeah, but how much fun would be it? Would it be if he took uh, part in the home run derby this year? It'd be pretty fun. Uh, Bronson Royo signed as a free agent with the Washington Nationals this January. You're wrong. Like Paul said, Goose Gossage said some things. We'll talk about that later in the podcast as well. Paul, do you have anything else before we get to our listener question this week? Two other noteworthy items for me. Uh, Yesiel Puig uh, isn't going to be um, indicted on claims of uh, domestic dispute with his sister. That came out, or it came out the MLB wasn't going to um, suspend him. suspend him. Yeah, and then the Cardinals also picked up Ruben Tejada who the uh, Mets had let go. Mm-hmm. That was because Johnny Peralta's out two to three months. Um, so kind of, I mean, not a huge transaction, but it's kind of interesting that the Mets let Tejada, you know, he's not a great shortstop, but he's serviceable definitely, go yeah. to go to another contender in the National League. Yeah, Peralta's one of the few injuries this spring. Uh, be interesting to see, look back on past springs to see um, the amount of injuries, but it doesn't seem like many guys um, have went down. Uh Last thing I had that I just remembered, um, the Rays play an exhibition game in Cuba this mm. upcoming week. Uh, President Obama is going to throw out their first pitch. Um, it's the first time you know, MLB has kind of been back there in an official role in quite some time. Um, so hopefully things go well there. I'm sure um, Donald Trump will be covering it yeah. exclusively. Yes, despite our uh, our podcast last time... Uh, Trump continues to gain steam, so I'm not sure we can do anything to stop him on the pod. All right, listener question this week, and as a reminder, you can submit questions to us. Uh, you can tweet at us at a foot in the box, or send us an email at uh, a foot in the box at gmail.com. Uh, the question this week comes from Matt in Minnesota. Uh, his question is, "How much stock should I put into spring training games? I've noticed the Cubs have not been dominating as predicted for the regular season. Obviously, starters are out." Obviously, starters aren't all together, uh, but is this a sign of things to come for the season? Uh, Paul, what's your initial? I've got some research here, but what's your initial answer to that question? Yeah, I mean, without looking at any research, I would say it doesn't mean a whole lot of anything. Uh, I would, I would say uh, it does mean something on like kind of a, like a nuance level. So, if you're reading about a particular pitcher that's experimenting with a new pitch, it means something that 
this pitch is or is not working or, you know, like Jared Weaver's velocity, obviously that matters. He can't, 80, 80 miles per hour. can't throw faster than 80 miles per hour. That's something to take note of. But in terms of more general stats, like win loss record, that sort of thing, I wouldn't put any stock in it. I did a quick Google search for some research beyond the box score, uh, posted this article a few years ago. Um, we'll link to it in the podcast episode page. Um, but let's see here. I'll just read straight from here. They say, in an attempt to answer uh, the question of whether spring training games mean anything, um, the writer pulled Grapefruit and Cactus League win-loss records from 2007 through 2011 and matched each team's preseason record with its regular season record. The results was a positive correlation of um, 0.325. And they get into some of the math here that I'm not quite sure of what it means. Um they say, though, in other words, about 11% of a team's talent level is reflected in its spring training record. It's not a very strong correlation. Uh, it's not a very strong relationship, but it does exist. Um, so, small correlation. Doesn't mean too much. I looked at last year's spring training records, and um, the teams that made the playoffs, so in the National League, uh, the Mets and the Dodgers both uh, were tops for spring training records, and they both made the playoffs. The Cardinals went 13-11 in the spring training. Uh, Pirates went 15-13, and and the Cubs went 15-17. and Then in the American League, again, Kansas City and Toronto were uh, second and third in spring training. They made the playoffs. Yankees and Astros were middle of the pack. And then uh, Texas was 9-19 and in the uh, spring training, and they made the playoffs. Um so, again, just looking at last year's records, there is a little bit of a correlation. I mean, um, towards the top half of uh, win-loss record for spring training, but not a huge correlation. Uh, this year, if you're curious, I actually didn't even know the Cubs' record in spring training. Um, they're 5-13 and 13 when I printed these standings off. So not very good. Um, tops in the National League. Nationals are 12-3. and three. Arizona's 15-4. and four. In the Phillies, are twelve and five. Uh, American League: Toronto eleven and four, Detroit twelve and six, Houston eleven and six, and um, Baltimore, Boston, the Yankees are all bad. They're at the bottom, and then Atlanta and San Diego are at the bottom of the National League. Yeah, I mean, a couple other thoughts there. I would imagine that different managers handle spring training differently. So, sure. like. I'm just guessing here. Old school managers might ride their stars a little bit more in spring training and play them more, whereas like kind of a new school guy like Joe Madden probably doesn't care as much, and so sure. it's going to be reflected in stats. And then um, also, if you're competing, if you're on a team where a lot of like roster openings are up for competition, there's probably also going to be you're going to be better as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, like so, the Phillies they have a lot of openings, and so it makes sense that guys are competing for a shot to play in the big leagues. Sure. Uh, I, I saw, <laughs> gives you a picture into why people don't think spring training matters. All that much, uh, Arietta in a game uh, essentially walked a guy on purpose. Uh, it wasn't an intentional walk, but pitched around him so that he could pitch out of the stretch and practice that. Hmm. So when you've got stories like that, um, th- guys are working on different pitches. Um, hitters might you know, be trying to go the other way, and that's their only purpose for an at-bat or a, a whole game. Um, you can't put too much stock into it. And so a little bit of correlation. Uh, it's slightly concerning as a Cubs fan that the Cubs haven't played well, especially defensively. But, again, it doesn't matter all that much. 
uh, this got me curious what the history of spring training when it started. Um, other uh, sports leagues definitely have kind of a preseason, but spring training is different um, in that you know the Cubs go all the way to Arizona, uh, Cardinals go all the way to Florida um, for spring training. How did it start? Do you have any idea, Paul? Uh, no, I think the only thing I've read about like the history of spring training is when like uh, baseball was being integrated with African Americans. Like teams had to, like uh, St. Louis, for example, would have to like pick a different hotel in like Florida because hmm. it was, the South was still segregated. Yeah. So, no, I'm interested though. Yeah. So history of spring training, um, according to Wikipedia, it says uh, spring training by major league teams in sites other than the regular season. Game sites first became popular in the 1890s and by 1910 was in wide use. Hot Springs, Arkansas has been called the original birthplace of spring training baseball. The location of Hot Springs and the concept of getting the players ready for the upcoming season was the brainchild of Chicago White Stockings team president Albert Spaulding, who we talked about last week, and Cap Anson. Practicing at the Hot Springs baseball grounds, the White Stockings had a successful season and other teams took notice and began holding spring training in Hot Springs. Um, the Cleveland Spiders, Detroit Tigers, Pirates, Reds, Brooklyn Dodgers, and the Boston Red Sox followed the White Stockings to Hot Springs, um, and all these facilities were built in Hot Springs, Arkansas, uh, to host major league teams. Famously, a young pitcher named Babe Ruth of the Boston Red Sox was playing an emergency game at first base on St. Patrick's Day in 1918, this was his first game playing in the field. Ruth would hit two home runs that day in Hot Springs, and the second uh, homer he hit was a 573-foot shot that landed across the street from uh, Woodingham Park in a pond of the Arkansas Alligator Farm and Petting Zoo. Soon he was playing the field more often. Over 130 Major League Hall of Famers, including such names as Ruth, Cy Young, Cap Anson, Honus Wagner, Ty Cobb, Chris Speaker, Walter Johnson, Riders Hornsby, Mel Ott, and Jimmy Fox were involved in hot springs, spring training games. I'm sorry, was that the Arkansas Alligator Farm and Petting Zoo? Uh, that is what Wikipedia tells me. Yes. X. I was having a conversation with some friends earlier this week, and we were like picking the state that we would least want to live in. Arkansas. And Arkansas was said several times. And Hot Springs wouldn't be the name of a, a city if I had to choose one. Yeah. So I mean, I, th I actually think Hot Springs is kind of interesting. Cool Springs sounds better. Yeah. It's, I, I would have guessed Florida or uh, maybe like Georgia for sure, not Arkansas for the birthplace yeah. of spring training. Yeah, it was interesting. As a reminder, you can email us at afootinthebox at gmail.com. We'd be happy to answer your question or just dialogue with you there. All right, uh, that does it for our opening spring training spiel. Uh, next up, we will talk about Adam LaRoche and the Chicago White Sox. All right, this is Peter back on the podcast, and uh, we weren't expecting a couple weeks ago to be discussing Adam LaRoche as a full segment here, but uh, the news of the past week allows us no other choice but to give him his uh, his, whole, his own segment. In, in fact, I don't think there was any other way uh, that LaRoche would have been in the news besides this. Well, I mean, if he killed somebody or something. Sure, but if he would have just like, I don't know. Baseball related, there was no other thing that could have caused as much. Yeah. Yeah, so Adam LaRoche, if you've uh, not been paying attention this past week, um, and you're probably lucky, 
if you haven't been, because you've been inundated with lots of LaRoche discussion from lots of, lots of different people. But he's a first baseman for the White Sox, or was a first baseman for the White Sox. Um, he is 36 years old, been playing in the majors for about 12 years. I would say average first baseman over the course of yeah. those 12 years. In, yeah. his, in his peak, uh, he was above average. Yeah. Uh, he signed a two-year contract with the White Sox last offseason worth about $26 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, was seen as a pretty good move at the time. Yep. Was coming off some decent years with the Nationals. Uh, 2014, his war was 3.7. Um, put up on-base percentage of 362, 26 homers, 92 RBIs. So pretty good season in 2014. 2015, last year, he did not play well at all. 207 average, 293 on base, just 12 homers in um, 484 plate appearances. Yeah, he was brutal. Um, he was ne- awful. Negative 1.2 war, so much worse than a just uh, a minor league replacement. He was by far the White Sox worst player last year, which means he might have been one of the worst players in baseball last year. Yeah, so that's kind of the context of LaRoche uh, coming into last week. Um, and so first I'm going to just go through kind of the timeline of it all in case you missed it. And um, we'll discuss our thoughts of the LaRoche debacle afterwards. Um, so, first let's start. Um, on Tuesday, it was announced that LaRoche was retiring. Paul actually texted you and said, you know, Adam LaRoche is retiring, LOL. Yeah, first I had heard of it. Um, and you were shocked. You responded. Um, it was seen as a good thing for the White Sox because uh, he was owed $13 million, And if he retired before the season... They're just off the hook. They don't have to pay that. Yeah, I mean, at that point, there was when it first came out, there was no uh, context given besides that he was retiring. I think a lot of people thought injuries. He's had a lot of back problems. That was my initial thought. Even earlier this uh, spring training, he had had back issues and uh, said, you know, his back like locked up. He used the term locked up, and so that's never good when you're late 30s and doing that. So, yeah, that was my initial thought, but uh, that was not the case. Yeah, and so... By Wednesday, stuff started to leak out that it was because of, uh, not because of injuries, but because of a disagreement about uh, his son, Drake, his 14-year-old son, um, being around the team too much. And that disagreement was with team president, Kenny Williams, who used to be the general manager of the White Sox, but has uh, since been, I guess, promoted to president, and now there's a new GM, Rakan. But Kenny Williams is the president, and... um, he did a little interview with the media, and we're going to play the audio for you here just to hear his side of things. When did that conversation occur? And I, I, I did, but I want to be very clear on something, that it's not because the young man uh, was a distraction uh, and not because he wasn't uh, well-received and well-liked by players, management, and everyone else. Um, you know, he's a quality, quality young young kid. And I think going to one day be a heck of a player, by the way. Anyway, um, you have to, as we as we embarked on this season, in the off season, one of the things that we talked about the most was let's let's ch- you know check all the columns with regards to our preparation, with regards to our focus, with, with regards to everything to give ourselves the best chance to win. And um, this is not a problem today, but in, in management, sometimes you got to make some unpopular decisions, um, and sometimes they center around, uh, you know, 
they center around things that you don't necessarily want to do, but in order to maintain consistency, in order to to have an answer for the next person that comes along that wants to to have his child on the field 100% of the time, and that's kind of where we where we were. Was it was 100% of the time every day, and um, so yeah, I asked I asked him initially just just dial it back. Even 50% is probably too much, but there's a there's a wide range between zero and 50%. So you know, I was a little surprised at the at the stance that he took. It's unfortunate, uh, but you know, talk about a quality decision, quality life decision, and family decision. And when uh, he talks about being uh, there for his family and family first. He put, um, he put it front and center, so I respect it entirely. All right, so that was uh, Kenny Williams discussing it on Wednesday. Uh, Thursday, it's reported that the White Sox had a team meeting with Williams and the players, and uh, according to reports, Chris Sale and others at a meeting went off on Kenny Williams, especially Sale. Um, uh, players uh, were said to... Uh, be considering boycotting a spring training game because they were so upset at Williams and at the decision that was made. And at this point, it becomes a national news story, um, so much so that the Today Show on NBC um, discussed it for several minutes. So take it away, Matt Lauer. I'm going to talk now about a retirement that has a lot of people talking. Adam LaRoche, a player for the Chicago White Sox, walking away from a multi-million dollar salary, and it's the reason why... That's getting attention. Willie has more on that. Willie, good morning. Good morning, guys. I'll be interested to see what people think about this one. White Sox executive Say LaRoche, a first baseman and designated hitter, decided to retire after they asked him to dial back the time his son spends with the team. It's raising a lot of questions about how much is too much when it comes to bringing your kid to work, in this case, to a baseball park. Adam LaRoche stunning the baseball world with his abrupt retirement. The 36-year-old telling teammates in Arizona Tuesday he's ready to walk away from the game and the $13 million remaining on his contract. White Sox officials confirmed LaRoche's decision came after they asked him to cut back the time his 14-year-old son Drake spends in the clubhouse. Once his son was old enough to be safely around a baseball field, he brought him to work. Many on the White Sox call Drake their 26th man. He's considered such a fixture with the team that he attends practice at home and on the road. Drake has his own uniform and even was given his own locker at U.S. Cellular Field in Chicago. White Sox Vice President Ken Williams calls Drake a fine young man, but says it was time to draw the line. Sometimes you've got to make some unpopular decisions. What would I say to the next person, who, the next guy who wanted to bring his son and, and have it be an everyday thing? Williams saying it's time the team concentrates on playing better baseball after suffering three straight losing seasons. LaRoche has not appeared publicly since walking away, tweeting, Thank you, Lord, for the game of baseball and for giving me way more than I ever deserved. Hashtag family first. National League MVP Bryce Harper, a former teammate of LaRoche's, voicing his support, tweeting, Good for you, Roche. Nothing like father and son in the clubhouse. It's a family game. But after all, it is work, and when the fans are demanding a better output from the Chicago White Sox, they're tightening up the reins there. We did reach out to LaRoche and his agent for comment. No word back yet from them. The team does confirm LaRoche has signed retirement papers, but they've not yet been filed 
with the league. White Sox executives did not make this decision alone. There was, according to the Chicago Tribune, a meeting of the players, about a two-hour meeting. This is coming from some of them, clearly. You know, it's a locker room. This is a 14-year-old boy. We all know that players in locker rooms like a certain atmosphere, and I don't think yeah. they, they want to be worried constantly about what they do or say in front of the board. I think, it draw, I think it's crossed the line. Yeah, yeah. I, I really think that's know. probably right. And Adam LaRoche's father played in the big league, so Adam had this experience. He got to hang around locker rooms probably and be around, big, ever, right. be around big leaguers, and he says he wanted to give his son the, the same experience. And the team's under a lot of pressure. I mean, they, they need to come out and play a good game. But so an occasional visit focus. is different than right. being there oh. so often. Look, we all, right. that's probably some of our fondest memories, going to work with our dads. Mm-hmm. You know, but... Yeah, there's a line. I can't focus when I bring my kids to work. <laughs> it's like I'm worried about if they're going to embarrass me or do something that they shouldn't be doing. I think it's a case where no one's wrong. I think yeah. the White Sox has the, they have, as, as an organization have the right to say, you know what, it's too much, and he has the right to walk away sure. if that right. means, you know, Absolutely. I'd rather spend time with yeah. my kids. I was just surprised he has to retire because of this. Right. He's yeah. still got some good swings in his bat. Maybe that's he shows thing. up somewhere else with another team. We will Maybe see, Willie. Thank you. He's still got some good swings on his bat. Yes. Uh, on the podcast now to discuss the LaRoche uh, retirement. Al Roker. <laughs> Al, how's it going? I don't know. Uh, Al will not be joining us. But, yeah, that, I thought that was pretty funny. So that was uh, Thursday. National news story. Everyone's talking about it. Uh, Friday morning, uh, Chris Sale <laughs> has two jerseys hanging above his locker uh, to honor uh, LaRoche and his son, the one from uh, Drake uh, says was signed by him and says, To Chris, thanks for taking care of me. Signed, Drake LaRoche. And also, uh, Sale spoke with reporters that day. And just to quote him, uh, Kenny said quite a few things, contradicting statements a couple times. Uh, he came to players, said it was the coaches, went to the coaches, said it was the players that wanted uh, Drake LaRoche out of the clubhouse. Uh, then he came in here and told us it was the owner. We're not exactly sure who it's coming from where it's originating from. That's why we're still trying to figure out where it all came from. We got bullface lied to uh, by someone we're supposed to be able to trust. You can't come tell the players it was the coaches and then tell the coaches it was the players and then come in and say something completely different. If we're all here to win a championship, this kind of stuff doesn't happen. I don't think anybody in this room has a problem with anyone else in the organization, he said. Uh, Somebody walked out of those doors the other day, and it was the wrong guy. Hmm. Pretty scathing comments from the ace of the staff, probably the best player on the team, um, in reference to the team president. Uh, Friday afternoon, LaRoche spoke for the first time uh, about the incident. He released a statement on Twitter. We'll, again, link to all this stuff in the the podcast episode page. Um, But very well-written statement, just to take a few quotes from there. Uh, Over the last five years, with both the Nationals and the White Sox, I have been given the opportunity to have my son with me in the clubhouse. It is a privilege I have greatly valued. I have never taken it for granted, and I feel an enormous amount of gratitude toward both of those organizations. Though I clearly indicated to both teams the importance of having my son with me, I also made it clear that if there was ever a moment when a teammate, coach, or manager was made to feel uncomfortable, then I would immediately address it. I realized that this is their office and their career, and it would not be fair to the team if anybody in the clubhouse was unhappy with the situation. Fortunately, that problem never developed. I'm not going to speak about my son Drake's behavior, his manners, and the quality of person that he is because everyone knows that I am biased. All of the statements from my teammates, past and present, should say enough. Those comments from all those people who have interacted with Drake are a testimony to how he carries himself. Prior to signing with the White Sox, my first question to the club concerned my son's ability to be a part of the team. 
After some due diligence on the club's part, we reached an agreement. The 2015 season presented no problems as far as Drake was concerned. Uh, my bat and our record are another story. Uh, with all of this in mind, we moved toward the current situation, which arose after Ken Williams recently advised me to significantly scale back the time that my son spent in the clubhouse. Later, I was told not to bring him to the ballpark at all. Obviously, I expressed my displeasure toward this decision to alter the agreement we had reached before I signed with the White Sox. Upon doing so, I had made it, I had to make a decision. Do I choose my teammates in my career, or do I choose my family? The decision was easy, but in no way was it a reflection of how I feel about my teammates, manager, general manager, or the club's owner, Jerry Reinsdorf. Um, so again, a lot more from that statement. You can go and read it. Uh, but LaRoche feels very strongly that he made the right decision. Again, so that was Friday afternoon. Um, on uh, Again, Friday afternoon, White Sox owner Jerry Reinsdorf released a statement saying that uh, he um, was asking everyone in the uh, White Sox, everyone in the organization, to not speak on it any further until the process of figuring out what exactly happened had been completed. But on Saturday morning, Adam Eaton did a radio interview at the local radio station in Chicago, and he said that the White Sox had lost a leader in Drake LaRoche. And uh, later on Saturday, Sale said it was time to move on and worry about baseball. So that's all that happened. So many different angles to this whole thing. Paul, as a White Sox fan, uh, just what what are you feeling throughout the whole thing? Uh, hatred for Kenny Williams. Wow. Um, so, like, you know, as outsiders, you know, outside media, national media, people like, you know, the Today Show, or just people following it kind of from a distance, it's a pretty simple, like, situation, right? Like, the appeal is, well, would you bring your son to work exactly. in a corporate environment? Or And it's like, oh, of course not. That's He crossed the line. It's way too much. And so it's like, it's pretty simplistic, right? White Sox are in the right, LaRoche is was in the wrong for bringing his son around too much, but it was a, a family-first decision, so let's move on. I think when you hear all the details, that's what you think. Uh, but if you just hear, you know, a, a little tidbit from it, you might think, oh, man, that's why baseball sucks, like they're not letting right, yeah. kids around baseball anymore. But if you hear, I agree that if you hear the whole story and think about it, a lot of people would think what you just said. Yeah, so I had like a coworker ask me on Friday when I came in, you know, she said, I saw you tweet about that. You know, she could you imagine if... Uh, we were able to bring our kids to work, you know, in a corporate environment. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. However, as a White Sox fan, I know that Kenny Williams is an idiot, uh, and he is um, selfish and loves to be the center of attention. So I think that's honestly what's driving a lot of this, and that's driving a lot of the players' negative reaction. So this is the, you know, the club president. This is the same person who in 2007 called the White Sox – you know, best player of all time, Frank Thomas, an idiot, went on record as saying that, and went on record as saying the White Sox wouldn't miss him. He was inducted in the Hall of Fame last year. Probably not a wise thing to come out and say that. Also, the same guy, you know, earlier you called uh, it a promotion for him to move from general manager to team president. Well, really, that was sort of a demotion for him. He was exiting the day-to-day baseball operations, mm-hmm. or supposedly. And uh, last year... Uh, middle of the summer, he came out and said that, nope, he was still uh, approving every baseball decision. He went on record as saying he hires the manager, he hires the general manager, and that Jerry Reinsdorf, still the owner, still comes to him whenever he has a question, and that Rick Hahn, the general manager, who's supposedly supposed to be 
in charge of the day-to-day hasn't graduated to the point where Williams is at yet in terms yeah. of baseball knowledge. So, well, in Moneyball, right? He's yeah, he's painted in a very unfavorable yeah. light, and he's also drafted his sons, um, which is kind of interesting. Another interesting angle in the story. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't like Williams in general. I'll just come out and say that. But just breaking down his role in this situation, horrible timing. You know, as he said in the interview you played, uh, if over the off season he had thought about, you know. Uh, I think he called them columns, like go moving down the column and making sure, checking the box, making sure they were in the best possible position to be prepared to win. If he had thought about this during the off season, then have a conversation with LaRoche before spring training. Like he obviously knew that, it, that, you know, LaRoche hadn't changed his mind. So just have that conversation earlier, not in the middle of spring training. It's also hypocritical because uh, LaRoche had done his due diligence before signing the two year contract. Um, asking, you know, can I have my son around? And he did the same thing with the Nationals. So as the White Sox are researching whether or not they should allow this, like they should have talked with the Nationals. They should have talked with previous employers of LaRoche to understand that, yeah, he actually does have his son around pretty much all the time. Um, So for him to change his mind a year in, even if players are, uh, other players are asking him about it, like complaining about it. I just think it's it's a hypocritical hypocritical decision by Williams, and it just this whole thing shows a lack of leadership. Not to like Sales' temperament is such that he does this. Like uh, last year, he visited the Royals clubhouse after a beating incident, ready to to go after. Uh, the Royals clubhouse. So he's hopefully Drake wasn't around to watch that. Yeah. So he can get pretty heated. And so for Williams or for their manager, Robin Ventura, Rakan, not to understand clubhouse dynamics, personalities of leaders, and to just be able to control this better, just shows an all around lack of leadership within the organization. Um, like this would never happen with the Cubs because I think there's a, there's a hierarchy and there's a, like Madden runs the clubhouse and uh, it just wouldn't get to this point. So, yeah. yeah, and I think just kind of from an outsider's perspective, I'm not a fan of the White Sox. Um, a couple of things that might be in Williams' favor a little bit. Uh, Bob Mattingale of the USA Today reported over the weekend that several players and staff had come to him, to Williams, complaining about Drake. So they're not going to come out and say anything now. Uh, you know, you've got Eaton and Sale and some others coming out in defense of um, having the sun around. But all the people that came to Williams uh, kind of privately aren't going to come out and say that because they'd just be, you know, uh, vilified by the media and, and fans. I get that, but why are they going to Kenny Williams? I don't know. Like, I, he just... So so you've got, you've got players coming to Williams, and I agree that Williams seems a bit selfish and egotistical um but just part of that report with nightingale uh williams came to laroche and said hey you know cut it back laroche apparently agreed with it to some degree um but then after that kind of heart-to-heart talk nothing changed according to multiple reports um, from people inside the white Sox camp and it reached a breaking point um, when laroche kept bringing his son to the ballpark every day and it went on for three or four days after the conversation, and then uh, Williams saw Drake uh, on the field this week on the pitcher's mound during a uh, practice, uh, a practice drill. In the middle of the drill, he's standing on the pitcher's mound, and that's when Williams kind of lost it. He had explained to LaRoche 
why uh, he didn't want him around, why it was a distraction. And so I think LaRoche just was uh, unwilling to, to change it all, even though he agreed to it. And so I think those that report made me think a little more highly of Williams, but I do agree that it was handled really poorly. And another thing said to ask LaRoche, uh, Will Leach wrote a great article that we'll link to. Um, I tweeted out this uh, earlier this week, but LaRoche was taking his son out of school, and they weren't homeschooling. They were simply taking his son out of school, and he was doing his best. But as uh, Drake said in an interview one time, he said, uh, it's a little harder not being with all my teachers, but I can get by. And LaRoche's argument for pulling his son out of class, uh, out of school during the baseball season, is that he can learn more life lessons in a clubhouse than he can at school. And Leach just points out how absurd that is. And it's hypocritical for LaRoche because LaRoche has a daughter who he doesn't pull out of school, who stays in school. Um, yeah, I mean, I, that's a whole other conversation. Exactly. Right? So I think, from my perspective, uh, three main people to blame for this whole thing. Uh, LaRoche, again, for some of the stuff I just said about... Blame, I mean, I think blame is... Well, whatever. Three, three people that it just made me question, like, what the heck are you doing? LaRoche is one for thinking that this is good for his son. Uh, two, Kenny Williams, for all the things that you've listed um, and the timing of it and how kind of poorly it was handled. And three, Robin Ventura. Like you said with Madden, it would never happen. Madden was asked about it, and he said it's the player's decision. He's got eight guys that he meets with before the season starts that run the clubhouse. So if they've got a problem with a kid being around, they handle it themselves. Mm -hmm. And to me, Ventura just doesn't have any authority in that clubhouse to do that and probably uh, isn't as seasoned of a manager to, to even think to do that. So again, lack of leadership all around, but those three people I'm like left thinking, what the heck is going on here? Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I, I think uh, you're right to question, you know, LaRoche's decision, but uh, for me as a, as a Sox fan, that's not where my, that's not where I go to first. Sure. Um, yeah. And from all accounts, from a lot of people, LaRoche is the Super Bowl-respected teammate. Article from the Washington Post um, says that one reason teammates didn't mind having Drake around is because it was Adam LaRoche's kid. There's probably not a more admired, more well-liked man among ballplayers on LaRoche. He knew everybody. There was hardly an uh, acquisition who didn't mention that he had called LaRoche upon learning he had joined the Nationals. Um Again, this is from the Washington Post, so it's discussing his time uh, with the Nats. Uh, he led Bible studies and took teammates out on hunting trips. Uh, he could raise a little hell and give the best advice on how to blend family and baseball. Given the general demographic of ballplayers, LaRoche was viewed inside clubhouses as both the coolest and sagest guys around. Um, his kid helped out around the clubhouse and made them laugh. The other players loved Drake. So I think most people loved him. He was, I think Ventura even said he's one of the more uh, mature guys in the clubhouse, which might say a little bit about the White Sox kind sure. of state of things. Or the fact that he was a leader. Exactly. Um, but I think that's why Sale and Eden are so upset. It's like you got this fun-loving kid around. He's not hurting anything, and yet we're making it a big deal. It comes off as we, we didn't win last year because of these distractions, and I think that's why there was all this pushback. And I think... You've got a real uh, broken communication channel between White Sox players and Williams. They don't like him. He doesn't like them, it seems like. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, just for Williams not to have the 
wherewithal. You know, when he's delivering this message in a team meeting that uh, LaRoche is going to retire because his son can't be around, like he, uh, I think, after the fact has admitted that he was kind of uh, speaking on behalf of anonymous, unidentified players. Uh-huh. But he's got to just have the wherewithal that Sale and Eaton and other people like the LaRoches. And so for him not to like identify those people that have issue, obviously it's going to be met with uh, anger and frustration by the players because they think Kenny Williams is coming in and making the call when Kenny Williams shouldn't be making the call. So it's, And he's not around the clubhouse a lot, that right. sort of thing. So he should have, if he really was speaking on behalf of other players that had issues with it, then he he should have had the wherewithal to to know to identify that in the clubhouse. So yeah, mm-hmm. I just disagree with it. One last thing I had thought about is Laroche. Uh, he's got the back injuries you mentioned from uh, spring training. Was really bad last year. Um, uh, Pakoda uh, ha- didn't project him that highly this year. But league average on base, point um, seven WAR. So not a super valuable player anymore. Had already made seventy million dollars playing baseball. I think he took it as a a little bit of an out. Um, mm. Looking at the season, the White Sox aren't supposed to be that aren't projected to be all that good. LaRoche probably knows his best days are behind him. I think that made the decision a lot easier as well, which is kind of ignored by the the uh, Today shows of the world. There's a couple sports writers that came out today that said they'd be surprised if LaRoche uh, doesn't come back to the White Sox before spring training is up. Really? So to be continued. Oh my gosh. If I had to predict, I would say he's done. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, that does it for our Adam LaRoche um, segment. Um, next up, we'll talk about another guy who's made the rounds nationally, Bryce Harper. All right, back on the podcast. Uh, from one national, or I guess former national player to another, Bryce Harper uh, made national news uh, this week, he was on the cover of ESPN the magazine. I subscribe to the magazine mostly to be a to get access to the ESPN Insider information, but uh, it's a pretty good magazine. Um, and this article, he was the cover story. The author of the piece was Tim uh, Keown, K E O W N. Um, heard him interviewed on some radio programs. Seems like a great uh, writer. And uh, it was a very good story. Uh, Paul, did you have a chance to to read the article? I did. Uh, two tidbits before we jump into the meat sure. of it that I enjoyed. He had a 570-foot homer as a freshman in high school. You didn't know that? No. Yeah, there's a YouTube video that went viral. That's insane. He was on the cover of SI as a 16-year-old. So he would have been 14 or 15, and he had a almost 600-foot mm-hmm. homer. That's incra- crazy. When and you think he hit it into a petting zoo across the street? <laughs> alligator petting zoo? Uh, probably aluminum bat, though, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. And then, did you see the Finding Dusty Baker quote? Uh, what was it? Uh, he calls him the wrong name. Royce, <laughs> I, didn't, Royce. I didn't see that. He said, I don't know much about Bryce, but he's one of the hippest kids around. <laughs> Coming from Grandpa Dusty. Yeah, uh, so super good article. You should go and read it. Um, we'll link to it again in the podcast episode page. Uh, essentially at the heart of this debate and Goose Gossage is part of it and we'll discuss it later with um, our interview with podcast listener but uh, this debate going on in baseball right now is how much emotion can you play the game with what's the line of showing up uh, a 
player you're playing against or showing up the game or not respecting the game. Uh, when you hit a home run or have a strikeout, what's the appropriate amount of emotion that you can have? And Bryce is on Team Batflip, on Team Pump Your Fist, uh, show all of the emotion that you, you can. Uh, Bryce had a quote in the article that I, I thought was good. He said that uh, baseball is a tired game, and uh, young guys like Harper and Jose Fernandez and um, even older guys, I guess, like Bautista um, from the Blue Jays, are good for the game because it's drawing interest um, and making it a more fun game to watch. So that's kind of the meat of it. Uh, Harper is just a intriguing guy around um, all around because of his story. He dropped out of high school, got his GED so he could play junior college earlier, and then he was drafted at an early age of the Nationals, came up um, I think when he was 19, mm-hmm. 19 or 20, and uh, last year was his breakout year, one of the best seasons of all time. And uh, still, even the last week of the season, there's people that didn't like him. Papelbon, Jonathan Papelbon, uh, essentially choked him for not running hard to first base. And a lot of old-time players don't like the way Harper plays. So with all that kind of out there, Paul, what, how do you kind of process through this uh, debate, which I'm sure will just you know, keep being talked about during the baseball season? Yeah, I think from all reports uh, and that the article you, you mentioned, uh, Harper – Loves baseball. Uh, the article talked about how he gets goosebumps mm-hmm. um, thinking about World Series moments or big moments. Uh, he uh, works harder than almost anyone, mm-hmm. and he plays the game hard, you know, he, almost to the point where he gets hurt too much, yeah, like runs into fall, walls yeah. and dives when he shouldn't and that sort of thing. Uh, so I have no issue with him making these comments. Um, he's not – I don't think he's doing it uh, – in the best way. Like I, I think it comes across a bit selfishly when he talks about kind of wanting to be known on like a first name basis, like a Kobe in basketball yeah. or I, to say it that way comes across selfishly. <laughs> but I think ultimately what he's saying about baseball being a tired sport is, is pretty accurate. And, um, I think people that play baseball have different personalities and they should be able to express themselves in different ways. So, uh, in terms of celebrations, I've always thought that if it fits the moment, Go ahead and celebrate. Mm-hmm. So if you're Jose Bautista and you hit the biggest home run in the last 20 years for the Blue Jays, flip your bat. Like mm-hmm. my issue comes in if a guy's doing that and it's like in the bottom of the eighth and a ten nothing game and like there's nothing on the line. Sure, but if it fits the moment, celebrate. Yeah, I I have no issue with that. Yeah, I agree with you, and um, I agree with Harper. Kind of the thrust of what he's saying, and he would agree with you that there's a time and place for it. And if you're down ten to one, or if you're a, a ten year old and you're flipping your bat, like that's not your place. But if you're Bautista and you hit a home run, or you strike out a guy in a World Series game, like show emotion. That's good for the game. Be yourself. Um, and so I, I agree with him in that way. But I think if his main, I guess I just question what his end goal is. If his end goal is to help the game and for the good of the game, you know increase its popularity and that sort of stuff with kids, then uh, he is not going about it the best way possible. He's not being very persuasive. He's kind of making a line on the sand and saying, you're either for where baseball is going or you're against it. You're either for me or against me. And uh, he's just not s- selling his view of what the baseball uh, game should be played very well. I think if his end goal was to help baseball, uh, he'd be much more civil about it and kind of allow people an on-ramp 
that have supported kind of the old time baseball um, way of doing things. So I think his end goal really is like, I want baseball to go this direction and I want to be the guy that brought us there. I want people to look back and say Bryce Harper was the catalyst. Mm -hmm. So I think there's uh, a lot of that involved in all this. And even I heard uh, this author interviewed on uh, Ursula and Canal, ESPN Radio, and he uh, talked about how part of the the article was all these uh, pictures he took. And online and in the magazine, you see a lot of them. He wants to be kind of this fashion trendsetter as well. Wants to be kind of the Russell Westbrook athlete, athlete um, style catalyst, whatever. And so I, and he said the photo shoot for that and all the clothes and stuff he tried on was like four hours long. Wow. And he was looking at all the pictures and picking out which ones he liked and didn't like. So I think there's a lot of that involved here. But in general, I say Harper's good for baseball, great player. Um, you do have to find the the balance, the fine line between emotion and just being an arrogant prick. Yeah. Uh, the article touched on this, but it doesn't help him that Mike Trout is like the exact opposite. When people ask him about it. And I, I think it's really cool to see that kind of rivalry uh, kindled a bit or not kindled. I don't think they dislike each other, but just a, a difference in opinion. Mm-hmm. Harper thinks one way about this stuff and uh, Trout is very much respect the game you know, be excited. Like when, when he robs a guy of a home run, he's super excited or hits a home run. He smiles and stuff, but he's not going to flip his bat or be demonstrative. Uh, so very different ways of looking at mm-hmm. being great at baseball. Our last podcast, uh, Byron Anderson called Batista, I believe, uh, goober. Is that the yeah. term? <laughs> Is that, that the term? So yeah, I, I get where fans don't like that, especially if, uh, you're a fan of the opposing team, but what, like what is sports if you can't show, emotion you know why do we play why do we play baseball why do we watch baseball Mm -hmm. it's because it's fun and exciting and you know and i remember when the cardinals beat the the rangers on the way to the their world series in 2011 there was an awesome youtube video of fans like going crazy during that comeback and it just gives you chills watching that so it's like why can't players do that why can't players show the same type of emotion you know Mm -hmm. and hitting a home run or throwing 100 on the outside corner or a great breaking ball. Those are super hard things to do. Mm-hmm. So for Bautista to hit that bomb in the playoffs last year against the Rangers, like he should celebrate. He should get lost in the moment. Like that is, he did something that is so hard to do in such a big moment. Right. Like in his fans, yeah, we all go nuts. Why can't a player get excited? Um, like you should be lost in the moment. Yep, I agree one hundred percent. All right. Um, well, that does it for our Nationals discussion. Uh, it will be interesting to watch Harper the rest of the year. And, again, we'll link to all these articles that we're discussing if you're more interested in it on our podcast episode page at afootinthebox.com. Next up, we have our interview with Andy from Texas. This is Peter back on the podcast and uh, joining us on the line, longtime friend of the podcast, Andy from Texas. How's it going, Andy? You hit it on the nail, man. Long time, long time aspiring get. And I, I would say I'm from Illinois. I live in Texas, but I'm a Midwest boy. Okay. Okay. A little bit of background uh, with baseball. You're a Cardinals fan, correct? Yeah. Yeah, pretty big Cardinals fan, man. It's easy to be a Cardinal fan these past five, ten years. So. Yeah. Bandwagon fan, then? No bandwagon fan. It's in the, it's in the family. Uh, so I grew up a Cardinal fan, so I don't know. I don't know how anybody picks a team, but I think it's usually... 
you know, family. So yeah, mom, dad, Colonel fans, St. Louis, two and a half hours away. Yeah, I think it's the best. I think it's the best ballpark in America. Might be a little delusional, uh, but your younger brother, your younger brother is a Yankees fan. Man, some things you just can't explain, and yeah, Johnny is a well-known Yankees fan. <laughs> if you know me, you know my younger brother, and if you know my younger brother. You know he's a Yankees fan, so I can't explain it, but I followed him pretty close now that he's a fan, so it kind of stuck. I didn't think it, I didn't think it would stick uh, earlier on when he was going back and forth between teams, but um, it did. So I'm mm-hmm. surprised. Uh, well, getting into our relationship with you a little bit, uh, we were college friends, uh, roommates for a year. Um, you never lived with Paul, right? Just basketball managers together at U of I. Yeah, I mean, we had some uh, Christmas breaks where we we got to stay in hotels and stuff and road trips. So I'd say uh, I'd say kind of roommates, just probably not the roommates that you would think like uh, like me and you were. Yeah, don't forget uh, the infamous uh, the infamous spring break 2010. We were uh, True. condo mates in PCB. True. Yep. We'll let the listeners. Good uh, times, man. Well, let the listeners uh, come to their own conclusions about that rendezvous. Uh, what happens in PCB <laughs> stays in PCB. Yes. Uh, so you're now – you grew up in Illinois, but you're now married, and you live in Texas, and uh, you're big time now. You're assistant basketball coach at a, at a school in Texas. Explain to the listeners your role there. Well, if you're not familiar, I wouldn't say big time. I say I'm working hard every day. Um, but, yeah, I love my job. I love my – I have a chance to work for it's called Texas A&M University Commerce. So, to those of you in Illinois, it's probably synonymous with uh, University of Illinois Springfield Division II affiliate um, of Texas A&M chapter. Uh, I mean, Lone Star Conference, well-renowned conference, um, probably the most competitive Division II conference in America uh, for basketball. So, yeah, it's a really good chance to learn from a really good staff. The town's fantastic and. Somehow I got my wife, who's from Naperville, Illinois, to move to a town um, of 8,000 people. So for those who say I can't recruit, I can do that. <laughs> well, getting into recruiting a bit, uh, you know, when you're recruiting, you've got these hotbeds uh, that you need to recruit well. So, like, if you were a big-time coach, you'd recruit Illinois because you're up there. I feel like as our podcast grows, we've got to target specific areas in with our interview with Byron a couple of weeks ago from Texas, and now you live in Texas. I feel like Texas is a, a hotbed for the Foot in the Box podcast. Would you agree with that? Oh, no doubt. No <laughs> doubt. I mean, uh, yeah, like you said, you want to you wanna target your surrounding areas, but now that you guys are growing to the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex greater <laughs> area. Um, but I would like to say one thing. With, with you uh, bringing on a Tarleton alum and now a, a guy that has a chance to work for A&M Commerce, um, so I just think it's kind of, funny and a coincidence um for probably anybody listening nobody has any idea about uh the lone star rivalries but tarleton which yeah it sounds like you're mispronouncing it but tarleton state uh Ooh, dig is, is a big is a big rivalry of a&m commerce uh so they got us out of the tournament this year but uh we beat them last year um now would you, the would... 16 elite eight of division two if anybody if anybody's following that bracket <laughs> and i'm sure we've all filled out our d2 brackets uh <laughs> for the, for people not as familiar with the the big rivalry between Tarleton and Commerce, compare it to a a Major League Baseball rivalry. Is it Cubs Cardinals, White Sox Cubs? What what level are we talking? Yeah, it's Cubs Cards with uh, with location two and a half hours away. Um, 
I mean, Car- Cardinals would probably be the Carlton State, kind of the the more upscale. Uh, they got the facilities. They've got kind of a tradition. Uh, uh, don't take any slides this, but the Cubs still trying to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just kind of the grinders and everything. I, yeah. I say it's more of a, what commerce is. Okay. Um, so, well, high talent level, same talent level, just just a little bit different. Uh, just a little bit different coaching styles. Sure. And we've got some questions on some baseball current events to get your take on. Uh, I was going to ask you what the outlook was for commerce's uh, baseball team this year, but when I was <laughs> on the website, there's no tab for baseball. Not very good. You got no baseball Not very team. Good. What's the deal? I don't know what the deal is with that. I know. Uh, I hope I don't get in trouble. But Title Nine plays a big role. We just got <laughs> a softball team. Yeah, I uh, saw that. The reason I didn't. The reason I'm not at the softball game right now is it's a beautiful day on Texas. Uh, I was waiting on the phone call. Um, so yeah, we got a nice softball, nice softball team. But baseball. Uh, hopefully that's in the works because, I mean, growing up in Illinois, your main your main sport is football and basketball. You move to Texas, you're your main sport is football, trickle down a little bit. It's baseball, trickle down a little bit more. It's basketball. So mm-hmm. kind of surprising that there's no baseball here. Well, maybe if uh, Texan native Ted Cruz becomes president, he'll get rid of Title IX. That seems to be something he would stand for. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know. Don't well, ask me too many questions about Ted Cruz. Well, tell me, have you seen the pictures that compare Grayson Allen from Duke to Ted Cruz? Oh, it's hilarious. It's man. uncanny. It's not on, and they're not- it is uncanny. They're not even trying to like. There's no remakes of the picture. It's just they look alike, and there's no rebuking. It's crazy. There's also. Have you seen the one comparing him to uh, Kevin from The Office? Ted yep. Cruz. Ted Cruz to Kevin from The Office. Pretty funny. It's kind of unfortunately uh, similar to both those guys, but he's a phenomenal basketball player. Can't hate on him there, but his faces. He needs to stop trip, tripping players. Yeah, he does. I don't know why. He, He's getting in a bad habit of that, but, man, he's, he's a really good player. I don't know why he does stuff like that. Yep. All right, well, uh, I've got a bit of a game for you. Uh, Goose Gossage, Hall of Fame closer for the Yankees, now pretty old dude, 70s maybe, 70s, late 60s. He had uh, some things to say about the current state of uh, baseball, mm-hmm. and I'm yep. going to give you a quote that he said from an interview with ESPN this past week, and you have to tell me, how many hot takes you would give it from one to five? So five five wow. being kind of the, the hottest and one being the least hot. Does that make sense? Hot, hot, being, hot being he's he's on the money when he says this, or is that what you mean? Uh, well, I guess you first give me your opinion of the statement, and then just tell me, you know, in today's sports culture, uh, how many how hot is the take, I guess. Oh, okay. I got you. I got you. Okay. So here we go. And I apologize to any children listening. Uh, He gets a bit vulgar. Uh, So the first one that uh, Goose Gossage said, um, Jose Bautista is an effing disgrace to the game. He's embarrassing to all the Latin players who ever played before him, throwing his bat and acting like a fool, like all those guys in Toronto. Cespedes is the same thing. First, your opinion. Do you agree? And then second, how how many hot takes out of five would you give it? Man, you gotta be really upset at somebody just kind of random. I hope he knows these guys speaking <laughs> like this. Um, but I think what I mean, the flair and the and the style that they bring to the game that was the most exciting inning of baseball mm-hmm. um, I've ever seen. So to kind of criticize it and say something that 
that really brought a lot of attention to the game of baseball uh, this past year, guys like that. So I think I think they're good for baseball. Uh, they're not trying to show up pitches. I know it's kind of it's kind of unwritten rule, but I mean, man, when you get a hit, when you get a hit like that, it's kind of hard not to you know pimp the bat, so to say. Um, the hot take, hot take. Uh, the hot take. I give it a I give it a five. I mean, it's it's kind of it's crazy that he would criticize those guys for for stuff like that. And I think the way he does it, there's better ways to do it. Uh, calmer heads, cooler heads usually do prevail. Talking about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would give it a five. It was kind of outrageous. Kind of he was trying to bring attention to himself. It seemed like, and it's funny. It's funny as you mentioned that a lot of these um, older guys kind of criticize baseball, and the younger guys and the, and the analytics and stuff like that. Um, but then you look around at the guys that are, you know, the Bryce Harpers. Uh, the Mike Trouts, and I mean, they're doing so much for the game, so why would I don't know why you want to criticize things that are positive for baseball. Yep. Great transition, because his second quote, uh, he says about the analytics, he says, It is a joke. The game is becoming a freaking joke because of the nerds who are running it. I'll tell you what has happened. These guys played rotisserie baseball at Harvard, but wherever the F they went, and they thought they figured the effing game out. They don't know shit. So, agree or disagree, and then how many hot takes? I mean, I definitely disagree. He's basically saying there's a small fraternity of guys that can comment or say anything on baseball, and that's the players uh, or the guys that played at a high level. If that was the case, man, it'd be you wouldn't have much, uh, you wouldn't have that many viewers or that many fans. Uh-huh. Um, so, so I definitely disagree, uh, and I would say it's a five again on the hot takes. Um, yeah, I just I, I don't know why guys like himself and the other guys. I think I heard you say on your last podcast, uh, guys like Joe Morgan, who you know really uh, really are negative about analytics and everything, but it actually helps their out their out their career. Yeah. Uh, when when talking about it, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so I think it's kind of outrageous that he would just say that you know. And I, I've been, I was a student manager at Illinois, same with you, Paul. Uh, and so that's kind of how. You know, we got into the game, uh, basketball, and I get into coaching. So if you were to say you can only play in order to coach, you can only talk about basketball if you're a player, uh, that'd be difficult. So there's many ways to contribute to um, any sports, but baseball and Olympics being a huge one right now. Yeah, I certainly agree with this, Paul. Uh, and I think Goose Gossage, of all people, to make comments, one, about Latin players in general. <laughs> And two about like nerds or sabermetrics is hilarious. He's still rocking the uh, Fu Manchu, right? I think on That's, pictures. Yeah, he need, that needs to go, dude. That needs to. <laughs> oh man, it's an effing disgrace to the game. I'll tell you what, he's still wearing that Fu Manchu. All right, uh, third and uh, or third of five quotes. Uh, Ryan Braun is an effing steroid user. He gets a standing ovation on an opening day in Milwaukee. How do you explain that to your kid after throwing people under the bus and lying through his effing teeth? They don't have anyone passing the effing torch to these people. If I had acted like that, you didn't go in the effing dugout. There are going to be 20 effing guys waiting for you. So uh, do you agree or disagree with his take on Ryan Braun? And then uh, how many hot takes? This is personal, right, Andy? You uh, have a relationship with Mr. Braun? Man, good point. Really good point. Yeah, yeah. Um, me and me and Brian Braun, specifically Mr. Braun, is dead. Um, go way back. I had a chance to meet him at a baseball game, just sitting in the stands, uh, and he was really casual about the fact that he was Ryan Braun's dad, and that his kid had hit a home run earlier, and 
I didn't hear him say a word. So, yeah, we do we do have a relationship, but uh, but again to the to the to the, uh, to the quote again, I don't know what goose is what what goose is drinking in the morning to get him just fired <laughs> up about so many things. It's so negative about about uh, young guys. It is unfortunate that the way Ryan Brown went down with, you know, how he lied uh, multiple times with his steroid indictments. But um, I mean, I don't think. Fans are fickle when you're hot and when you're doing really well. Uh, it'd be hard not to applaud him in Milwaukee. So I really don't. I don't have anything bad to say about them doing that. Um, as far as hot takes go, I give that about a four uh, on that scale. Yeah, there's there's some logic there at least. Yeah, there is a little bit. It's true. All right, next quote. Um, we just got two left. Uh, he says, "They have been created from the top from their computers." They are protecting these kids. The first thing a pitcher does when he comes off the mound is ask, how many pitches do I have? If I had asked that effing question, they would have said, son, get your ass out there on the mound. If you get tired, we'll come and get you. <laughs> uh, Coming from a closer, man. by the way, so his pitch count probably never got that high. Yeah, really, really. I think he does have a point. I mean, um, sometimes sometimes stuff like a pitch count or like a uh, – just, just even the comparison of having a trainer. A lot of the old school basketball guys will say that uh, having a trainer in college basketball kind of enables kids to say they're hurt, hurt more, give you know just uh, more excuses not to practice. Um, but back to the pitch count. I mean, I think it's really important. It's, it's really been proven that kids' arms can uh, can go out and they have to have Tommy John surgery or, or mm-hmm. something where they're never the same. Where they peak at age twelve, I think everybody can remember a kid where they were a phenomenal athlete or baseball player pitcher specifically at age 12 and then by age 18 they were just a normal guy uh but you know parents put a lot of expectations on them so i think a pitch count is important um ho- hopefully it doesn't mess with your head too much and you you know you you still got to be a player you still got to go out there and give it your all um but there's got to be limitations on especially emotion that's really not natural at all and that can really uh, mm-hmm. hurt a kid's arm over time so um I, again i'd probably say it's a three um you got a little bit of logic but his delivery, um, no pun intended because he's a closer, uh, is a little off. <laughs> okay. Uh, last one. Again, he hits on the nerds uh, storyline. A bunch of effing nerds running the game. You can't slide into second base. You can't take out the effing catcher because Buster Posey was in the wrong position, and they're going to change all the rules. You can't p- pitch inside anymore. I'd like to knock some of these effers on their ass and see how they would go against pitchers in the old days. The way he says it, says it, man, it just makes it seem like the game is all all of a sudden soft. They're still throwing 95. Guys are still going in to the catcher, even if it's not uh, the catcher screwed up, you know, yeah. six inches on the plate. Guys are still sliding hard in the second. They're still rounding third hard, going home. Um, so nothing really changes. There's just a few limitations on things that have really been bad for the game, like when uh, uh, the catcher goes out for the Giants for the year. I mean, yeah. you don't want to see things like that happen, so you got to put things into play. Um, so I I'd say it's about it's probably three and a half, three and a half, four. Um, he's got a few good points, but I don't think it's making the game any softer than than it was. I think it's a really good game to watch, and they're really making improvements for uh, for the viewer and for especially for the athlete trying to play and trying to make a career out of it. Definitely. So you would say overall, I think you averaged about a four, four point five for the whole interview. I'm, with his tone, he's just not—he's just coming in hot. So, 
but yeah, he he had a few good things to say, but overall, overall it was it was pretty hot. Here's a question: Do you think Goose Gossage believes deep down that he could be a closer in baseball still? Most definitely, there's no doubt about it. He thinks he gets suited up, which would be disgusting to see, and he probably thinks he'd go out there and challenge the best of them. So, uh, I mean, I guess that's what you want in, your, in, in a player, but at some point, man, they got to realize the glory days are way, way behind them. Uh, appreciate your takes on goose, your goose droppings, if you will. Uh, nice. <laughs> moving on to your other, uh, the other major spring training storyline this week, uh, Adam LaRoche. Uh, we already talked about it a little bit earlier in the podcast. We talked about it a lot, but uh, do you have a a hot take or an opinion on the LaRoche saga? It's just when you get you, there's so many different angles um, to the LaRoche saga, uh, and then you start to say say one whether you're on the pro dad side or pro business side, like Kenny Williams, um, and then you start to see the other side. So it's really hard to get too far into one, but. Mm-hmm. I mean, the timing's kind of bad, but I don't know if there's going to be timing, any good timing. But, I mean, it's a business, man. It's your job to go in there and play. So I, I don't really think you can bring your kid in there and concentrate, especially for a guy uh, that's reportedly had ADHD or something like that to concentrate on his game and his job and then also be a father. Um, I, I don't know. I think it would be difficult. I mean, what if it was uh, what if it was like bringing your wife into work or something like that and you know that's not that's not common. So how is bringing your kid into work any more common? Yeah, yeah. I feel like this the side of the story that hasn't been talked about at all is like, what does his daughter and his wife think of like them being gone basically for the entire no doubt spring? But... Do any of your players have children? And if they do, do they bring them into the locker room? <laughs> uh, yeah, a few of our athletes have kids, um, and they're more than welcome. Probably not in the locker room, but after the game, uh, you know, all the coaches go and say hi to them, uh, the girlfriends, fiancés. Um, but I don't, I don't think, I don't, I wouldn't want to bring, uh, I don't think they, they know better, our players, than to bring a kid in the locker room. That's kind of your, that's kind of the player's sanctuary and yeah. things are set in there that are just meant to, meant to be around those 15 or if it's baseball, 30 guys, 25. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if I'd want to bring a kid in the locker room, especially, grown men baseball players i know they're professional but still man i wouldn't bring a 14 year old to a poker night let alone a a locker room so yeah unless it's spring training spring training is a little bit different but you know to be on your full season grind i don't know be tough to have a kid around and do your job well definitely Uh, some good thoughts there uh last question for you uh what's your outlook on the cardinals this season and how will you handle the Cubs uh, just dominating them for the next decade? I, the next decade is is far fetched. I mean, even when the Cardinals were are you know have been red hot, they still compete with the Cubs. It's still a it's still a rivalry every year. So no game is is given in that. Regardless, even if the Cubs are is it really a rivalry when the I mean Cubs demolish the Cardinals in the in the playoffs? Can we call it that? I mean, I would still call it a rivalry. The timing was was really bad just with how many guys uh, proceeded to get hurt and Definitely. guys were out of lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it seems like timing is perfect now. I mean, Wainwright's going to be back to spring training. Molina doesn't want to miss any game, so he's going to be back. Uh, it's kind of unfortunate with Peralta, but but I'm pretty positive this year with with, uh, with Waka and uh, Carlos, um, you know, our whole staff. Yeah. 
in right. Uh, so, I mean, it should be a good year. But, again, I think uh, there's no it's un, there's no doubt that the Cubs are – they're projected to win the World Series uh, in 2016. So, if they don't, I think that'd be – unless they got the World Series and, you know, win the seven games. But I think if they don't win, it's going to be not a disappointment, but something on that level. Definitely. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Andy. Uh uh, Andy famously, his Twitter bio says, "Aspiring to put in the box uh, podcast guest." Guest, yeah. So you can change that now that you've been on the podcast, and uh, we definitely want to have you on again uh, down the road. Man, it's been a pleasure. You guys do a really good job. Uh, the preparation is is off the charts. So um, I remember the first time that I found out you guys were going to be uh, having a podcast and living in Texas and far away from you guys. It was a way to connect still with. Uh, some college friends. So you guys do a great job. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm up late listening a lot of times and Jen's wondering what the heck I'm doing listening to. Uh, you guys talk about baseball, but it's a really good job. So um, I would say you guys' uh, podcast is one of the reasons I actually followed baseball this uh, the past year, just great. just with me being a big basketball fan. So uh, you guys do a good job. Thanks for the kind words, Andy. Appreciate you having you on. <laughs> Absolutely, man. All right. Well, thanks to uh, Andy for being on the podcast. Uh, I think it's cool to speak from time to time with our listeners. Uh, so if you listen and you interact with us, um, always be prepared for us to, to call you on a random Sunday afternoon. All right. Well, looking ahead, uh, the season is so close, Paul. Only a couple weeks away, and uh, pretty soon we'll have actual games to talk about and not Adam LaRoche and his son and Bryce Harper and his opinions or Goose Gossage and his opinions. So the season starts, so that means next week uh, is our season preview podcast. Uh, so we'll give you everything you need to know about the season. Uh, we'll have something for each uh, team, and uh, really excited about that. And then uh, we're pretty much podcasting every week uh, from then until uh, November when the season ends. And so look forward to another season with everyone. Uh, we're also coming up on our one-year birthday, one-year anniversary. Mm-hmm. Uh, big deal. Uh, we started last April, so uh, just lots of cool things happening. Uh, we'll have lots more on our website, on the blog this year. Lots of cool things on Twitter as well. So uh, make sure to follow us there. Add a foot in the box. Uh, make sure to uh, rate and review us on iTunes as well. That helps get the word out to more people. Yeah, as a as a birthday present to us. Yes. Don't send any gifts or uh, money our way or cards. You can just go straight to iTunes and give us a review, positive Although, or negative. I will probably accept cash in lieu of if you don't want to give an iTunes review. Yeah, so our, our budget's limited, so send cash our way as well. Um, like I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, you can email us at a foot in the box at gmail dot com. We would love to um, answer any questions you have on the podcast or just uh, interact with you on email. Uh, follow us on Twitter. 100 followers by opening day. We're committed to it. We need 19 more. So uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at A Foot in the Box. And you can check us out online at afootinthebox.com. You can listen to old episodes there, read our blog, read up on who we are um, as humans as well. well. I think that does it. Super excited for the season. Paul, you got anything else? Nope. This has been a fun podcast. A lot of stories to talk about. And uh, just a reminder to keep a foot in the box. We'll talk to you next week.